Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us on this um, start of the weekend. NFL season kicked off on Thursday night. What a game. I mean, if you're the NFL, could you ask for a better start to the season than there was on Thursday night? Cowboys at the defending champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Dak Prescott back was unbelievable. But, of course, there's Captain America, right, against America's team. Tom Brady, four touchdowns, gets a ball with a minute 40 to go, gets him down the field, kick the field goal, win the game. What a game. It leads us into our guest today, and that's Tom Waddle. He's one of the great underdog stories in the history of the National Football League, and I don't think that's being uh, overly dramatic uh, or, you know, a lot of hype. Um, this was a guy who was a great high school player in Cincinnati, went on to Boston College last couple of years, an outstanding player, doesn't get drafted, signs with the Bears. They're the best team in the NFL. Uh, at the time, he goes there, he makes a team, but gets cut two, three, four, five times over two years, and then becomes this huge star, fan favorite with the Chicago Bears fans. They said he was too small, said he was too slow. Uh, he's gone on to have a phenomenal career in media, both on radio and television. And Tom Waddle is our guest today on Dialed In. We always thank our friends at the Believe Network for hosting this show, and for Dave Armbruster, our producer and engineer for his outstanding work. Tom Waddle, right around the corner on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services, including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details. Or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health, serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. Welcome back to Dialed In. Our guest this week, Gregory Thomas Waddle, was born in February of 1967 in Cincinnati, Ohio, his hometown. He starred at legendary Moeller High School, a wide receiver, and would go on to play collegiately and star for Boston College. In 1989, the Chicago Bears signed as an undrafted free agent the six foot 180-pound Tom Waddle. During his first two years in the NFL, he was cut 
more than once, yet brought back more than once by head coach Mike Ditka. Some said he wasn't big enough, wasn't fast enough. The latter decision of continuing to bring him back certainly paid off. In 1991, after the Bears lost some starting receivers to injuries, he finally got his shot and made the most of it right from the get-go, really. In the first month, nationally televised Monday night football game against the Jets, he had eight catches for 102 yards and an overtime win. Later that year, the Bears in the playoffs, nine catches, 104 yards, and a touchdown. He wound up on the All-Madden team. Now, some of you out there don't really remember the All-Madden team. You know about a Madden video game. But this is when John Madden would pick not always the guys who were going to the Pro Bowl or whatever it is. He'd pick the guys that he thought were the gritty guys, the tough guys, the guys that gave you everything they had. Well, Tom Waddle was that guy, and he was on the All-Madden team. The next two seasons... He was the best receiver the Chicago Bears had, and just as importantly, he became a huge fan favorite. I was living there at the time doing the Cubs games. Fellow Cincinnati guy, didn't know Tom Waddle, but I'm just like, man, this guy is really fun to watch. After 1992, Mike Ditka was fired. Dave Wonstadt comes in, and that year, Waddle led the team in receptions, receiving yards, but a year later, all of a sudden, Wonstadt's starting to look for, quote-unquote, Athletes. Well, later that year, he had an illegal hit that injured his knee, suffered a concussion. That was it in Chicago. He decides to go to training camp with his hometown Bengals and then just said, you know what, enough's enough. Decided to retire. Well, since then, in his second career, it's been an unbelievable meteoric rise in the media world, both radio and TV for Tom Waddle. You hear him if you're in Chicago every day on WMVP ESPN 1000, does a daily show with our buddy Sylvie. Um, you've watched him through the years, the NFL Network, Game Day Show, ESPN, Pro Football Weekly. Most importantly, he's the husband to Kara and the father of four girls. Tom Waddle, thanks for joining us. Is there anything that I left out in that introduction that I needed to get in there? No, Tom, that was great. Like I, I was, there were so many emotions as you were, were doing that. The first was, was, like I got goosebumps because I haven't thought about my football career in a while. And then you kind of brought me down because the Wanstead years weren't great for me. As you mentioned, Dave was looking for someone that played like Michael Irvin or Alvin Harper. I wasn't that <laughs> right, right. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, um, I've been so blessed with so many different opportunities and, so many times people were trying to define me and tell me what I was able to do and what I wasn't able to do. And my message to my girls who are all athletes as well has always been, you, you know, you can't let anyone define you. You, you define yourself. Um, so it was kind of a, 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 an interesting road that I took, but I always tell people, Tom, that my favorite moments of my entire, you know, athletic career were in high school, going back to Moeller high school, because, like I love the game in the NFL and I love the game at the collegiate level, but in a lot of ways it was a job and, 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 and that's not a negative, but it's just a reality. You played the game because you loved it in high school. And, and we had some, you know, we had some great teams and some great moments and, and, you know, we can sit and talk about the, the professional years, but the, the high school years is the, the things I do remember because at 54, I don't remember a lot. But those were the pure years, and that's where I really, you know, really just developed the, the true love for the game. So 
Been blessed, my friend. Been very blessed. Amen to that. Amen to that. You know, I want to ask you a little bit about Molder. Uh, we, we have a lot of uh, people who are in the greater Cincinnati area that know a lot about Molder. For people outside of Cincinnati uh, that listen to our show every week, uh, they may have heard of Molder High School because of Jerry Faust uh, and going from Molder High School as a head coach, and, and he's, he, he went right from high school to Notre Dame. But, you know, you look at the tradition of the athletes. You go back to the 70s and the 80s. Uh, the football team won five national championships, multiple state championships. In baseball, Barry Larkin went there. Ken Griffey Jr. went there. Buddy Bell went there. David Bell. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. Their basketball team is the best high school basketball program in the state of Ohio. What is it about Moeller High School? Well, I think first of all, um, you know, they put together a great athletic program uh, and there was an emphasis there. And, and I wouldn't suggest that it was overemphasized, but I think it was appropriately emphasized. And, you know, I, I don't say this just to sound politically correct, but, you know, we were student athletes. We really were. And, and getting a good education and preparing yourself for the next step at the collegiate level was very important. But at the same time, uh, we had excellent coaching we had some really talented players. You named them. I mean, Griff was there. Uh, Barry Larkin was there. I was in the middle of those two. I was a freshman when Barry was a senior and a senior when Griff was a sophomore. Um, you know, the years prior to that, we had, you know, we had Bob Crable. I mean, we had a lot of really talented players, and we had a buy-in. You know, I can remember my senior year, I think we had 110 people on the football team. Like, for the love of everything good and pure in this world, I don't know if we had a 1,000 students, you know? So, I, I mean, like, we had, we had, we had a buy-in from everyone, and we had a, a good, talented group of players. People wanted to come to Moeller and play, and we had outstanding coaches. So um, I think they've done a brilliant job, not just with the athletic, you know, portion of it, but also, again, um, you know, their message is you, you come in here to be a man of molar and you're going to be an athlete if you choose to be an athlete. But first and foremost, you're going to get an education and we're going to balance it correctly. Did you get to know, Tom, you didn't play for him. I think Steve Kalani was the one who took over for Jerry yeah. Faust. But, 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 uh, and that's who you played for, if I'm not mistaken. But, but did you get to know Jerry Faust at all? I really didn't. Uh, I think Jerry's last year... I think my brother was either a junior or a senior. I, I, I don't recall Jerry. I, I don't know exactly when he left, but I, my, I got there um, in 85. So um, my brother played for him for a couple of years, but you're right. I played for Steve Cloney when I was there. So I never really got to know Jerry, but, um, you know, obviously he was a legend at sure. school there. He was a master motivator. He did a brilliant job putting together a coaching staff and, um, and he really is the, the biggest reason why Moeller rose in, in, in the manner in which it did. Um, the, the, the football program was just a monster. And, you know, I remember my, my last year there in, in, in an 80, uh, what was it, the 84 season, I guess it was, that went to Boston College in 85. We were the number one team in the country in USA Today. I mean, it was really cool as a high school senior to pick up the USA yeah. Today and and on the side, left side, the, you know, one of the, the pages, they would have the top 25 uh, high school football teams. And we were at the number, we were number one spot wow. at, every week uh, of that last season, my senior year, until we played Centerville in the playoffs. It was so funny. I had uh, Herbie on, on Kirk Herbstreit on my radio show 
about three weeks ago. He had a new book out, and I told him, first question I asked him, is said, Herbie, i got to ask you, is there any reference to the playoff game that uh, you guys beat us 10-7 to when I was a senior? Because if there is, this interview's over. Um, <laughs> because that was the heart, I mean, to this day, it's the most heartbreaking experience of my entire life. We lost, lost in the first round of the playoffs, despite being the number one team in the nation for like 13 weeks. Um, but I guess to circle back to, to your question about Jerry, no, I didn't. I never really developed a relationship with him, but he's obviously the reason why Moeller was, was as successful and well thought of as, as it was back in the day. You go to BC, uh, you have a great career there, especially your last three years, last couple of years in particular. But did, did you think or did anybody lead you to believe that you had a chance to be drafted, or did you believe, uh, even if people told you no, did you think you would get a chance to play at the next level? It's really funny. Okay, so I'll, I'll walk you through this. I, I always felt, Tom, that I could play. Like, call me silly, call me ignorant, call me arrogant, call me whatever you want. I always thought I could play because at the end of the day, a wide receiver's job, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of things you have to be able to do, but the last and most important thing is you got to catch the ball. And, and I could just, I could catch it, and I wasn't, I wasn't concerned about getting hit. So, like, I felt like I could play a role. Um, I did have a nice career uh, at Boston College. I think my senior year, I was, was fifth or sixth leading receiver in college football in terms of receptions. Um, I went to the Indianapolis Combine. And I ran a 4.79 and a 4.81 40-yard dash at 178 pounds. I'd been sick the week leading up to the, to the combine, so I was a little under the weather. I ran the slowest time any receiver I think may have ever run <laughs> at the Indianapolis combine. And remember back then, the draft was 12 rounds. So, like, we used to say, if you couldn't get drafted in 12 rounds, you really sucked. Well, you, you know, I – I was. Just, I knew I wasn't going to impress anyone at the combine. I knew I wasn't going to go out there and people were going to be wowed by the athletic things I could or couldn't do. I just wanted a chance. Um, so when the draft came and went, you know, I was very prepared not to be drafted despite the success I had at the collegiate level. Um, and I was fully prepared. Just, all I wanted was my agent, Brad Blank, to find a place for me to land as a free agent. I said to Brad, there was 30 teams at the time. Get me in a camp, and I'll find my way. Mm-hmm. And, and, brother, they, there was no takers. I mean, there was no takers on draft day, the three days of the draft, and I couldn't get anyone to sign me. And fortunately, um, you know, my agent also had a premium free agent, a kid named Randy Marriott, who was coming out of North Carolina, and the Bears were very interested. And my agent basically said to them, I'll make sure Randy signs with you, but you have to sign Waddle as well. <laughs> so, like, the, my agent is holding up an NFL franchise for <laughs> a throwaway free agent wide receiver, and they were like, okay, they must have really liked Randy Marriott a lot because they decided to sign me. And I remember going to camp the first time, and I was just – I mean, I was awestruck. I, I remember the first meeting in the first mini camp, and I walked downstairs, and there's Fridge, and there's Dan Hampton, and there's Jim McMahon. Man. You know, I, I mean – And Ditka, and Ditka. And, and that's the point is you got all these great players, and at the very end, in walks Mike, and it was like the Pope had just walked into the Vatican, and everything <laughs> goes silent. And, you know, and, and so I'm like, I'm at the – you know, this is it. I'm in the big, the big leagues, and – this is going to be great. I went out the next three days and I held a, 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 a blocking dummy for, for three hours a day for three days. And I went back to Cincinnati. I said to my dad, 
this ain't going to work. I mean, they're, they, they signed me, but they're not going to give me a chance. And, you know, God bless my father, who's always been my, my inspiration and my hero. And he said, look, if you don't give this a full run, you're going to look back in your life and this will be the greatest, this will be your greatest regret of yep. all. He said, just go out there and give it everything you got. Let the chips fall. And I went back and I had a really good camp. I got cut. I got re-signed. I was on the practice squad. I actually was dressed for the final three or four games of the season. I went through the same process in, in, a, uh, in 1990. And as you said, in 1991, I was given a chance because there was, there was really no one else to play. And they called my number. And, uh, you know, that, that, that feeling of I can do this um, was resurrected and all the hard work was worth it. I was able to carve out a nice little career in the league. You know, you, you after those first two years uh, where you catch a total of three passes over two years, you're playing eight games first two years. Then the next uh, three years, you catch 145 passes. Um, and, and like I mentioned earlier in, in the open, I, I was living there at the time doing the Cubs games, and I knew you were this guy from Moeller and, and the whole nine yards and, and a fellow Cincinnatian. But, I mean, your popularity in a very short amount of time um, was just extraordinary. I mean, the, the, the yeah. fans, I mean, you, you, look, you, you know what I'm talking about here, right? Of course. Anybody that spent any time, and there are a lot of great football cities. I don't know if there's a greater professional football city to be a great player, a really good player, a tough player, a gritty player, than Chicago. And you were that yeah. guy. Yeah, it's. It's so funny because um, I developed such a great relationship with the fan base, and you're 100% right. I mean, there's no better NFL city in the country than, than Chicago. And there was an, a, a, an identification between the fans and me because, as I say to a lot of people, most of them could beat me in a foot race. <laughs> so they saw themselves in me, and I was just, you know, I was, you know, doing something positive, representing the little guys and the blue-collar people out there that – Lunch pail and hard hat, um, you know, wasn't the biggest, wasn't the fastest, wasn't the strongest, but uh, filled the role and, and, and played that role. I, I mean, it, it was embarrassing, to be honest with you, Tom. I'm a low-key guy, and I'm driving down, you know, the Edens, and there's that, there was, it was called the LeBet, it was a LaSalle Bank building, and I'm sure you remember it. There were more murals of all of yeah, the yeah. in town. There's Jordan, there's Rodney. And then there's me and Jim Harbaugh on the side of this building. And it's like, holy mother of mercy. Like, what is going on here? This dream can't be real. But, but it was. And they adopted me. And, and, you know, they've been so good to me, as not just as a player, but as a broadcaster here in town. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it was such a wild ride. It seems like it was forever ago, probably because it was. But, um you know, it's so many great memories. And remember, like I said, Jim Harbaugh was my quarterback. Yeah. And, and um, you know, that relationship was really, uh, was really a cool one as well. But I was so blessed to play with so many great players and play for a legend in Mike Ditka. You know, I want to ask you a little bit about Harbaugh because uh, back in those days I was working at WGN, which at the time was a flagship radio home of the Bears forever and a day. And, and Harbaugh was the number one pick out of Michigan. And, and, and right from the get-go, he had the Jim Harbaugh radio show. And I would have to tape that with him. Uh, every single week he'd come down the station. And, you know, and, and he and I were both single. We were young, a whole nine yards. And, and we, we, we really, you know, sort of hit it off just as far as a professional relationship was concerned. I, yeah. I, I really enjoyed being around him. Well, then the years go by, 
and he gets into you know he leaves and he goes to Indianapolis and does his thing and and then he gets into coaching I don't see him for years and and he's at the collegiate level and all that kind of thing well now he comes into the pros and and I'm doing games for Fox every week and I got a number of 49ers games and I get around this guy and all of a sudden I'm like Man, this dude, I, I, I don't know, and, and I've said it to his face, so I'm not talking behind his back. Sure. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, th- this dude has really changed. And I don't mean it from a negative <laughs> standpoint, but, I mean, he just got weird all of a sudden. Maybe he yeah. always was weird. I don't know if you agree with me or not. I mean, what was your relationship like with him, and, 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 and what's it like with him now? It's so funny. Um, like, I loved him as a player because he got his ass kicked on Sundays, like, I mean, I love that offensive line. You know, we had Hilgie, we had Thayer, we had Borch, we had uh, Jimbo for a, a couple of years, and we had Keith Van Horn, and those guys were just awesome. But towards the end of their careers, they've been so banged up that, you know, that, that, you know it was just father time has a way of kind of eroding your skills. And, and when it was Jim's time, um, you know, he got banged up a little bit out there. So he was tough as nails, always loved you know, hanging out with Jim on the field and off the field, like the most, I'm sure you, you know, you experienced it, the most competitive guy. No doubt. You, you, you'd ever met. If you were getting in line at the register at the grocery store, he'd cut in front of you. Yeah. Like, you, you know what I mean? He was, if you were playing golf, he'd talk in your backswing. I mean, like just goofing around. <laughs> he wouldn't give you a, a you know, a six inch putt. He was just the world's greatest competitor. And it made him the player that he was. And he was just, you know, he was a very, gregarious personality we all as teammates really thought that if he decided to coach he'd be fantastic at it his dad was obviously yep. a, a, a fantastic coach i believe he won a couple of national championships was it at western kentucky yep. i believe or yep. somewhere obviously his brother became a fabulous coach as well so we all knew that jim had it in him there was kind of a metamorphosis when jim became Jim Harbaugh, the coach, versus Jim Harbaugh, the player. Um, and he became much more serious. And, I mean, I, I wouldn't say we lost touch intentionally. He was busy. You know, he was doing something sure. different. So I really didn't have a whole lot of contact with him over the years, uh, but always admired, you know, what he was doing, whether it was with the 49ers or then at Stanford and, and then at Michigan. Um, I saw him recently. So, yes, your, your evaluation and the personality change is spot on. And we all joked about it over the course of time. Like, where did Jim go? Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, we reconnected at Jimbo Covert's Hall of Fame induction several weeks ago in Canton. And I can't begin to tell you, Tom, how, how cool it was to, to reconnect with him. It was like old times. And, and he was the same old guy that, that was in the huddle with us Um you know, Neil Anderson was with us. Uh, we, we just had we had so many guys there, Jim Morrissey and others, that it was like going in a time machine. So I, I just think that for whatever reason, he felt that his coaching personality had to be different than his playing personality, and I guess that's the best way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. I want to ask you about uh, Ditka. Um, you know, I, I, I've always wondered the answer to this question. Uh because I mean I I don't know how anybody on the planet doesn't love Mike Ditka. I, I mean you know in my opinion you're just a totally different cat than than I am in my personality. If you don't you may not you may not 
think he's great at this or think he's great at that. And you may not like his politics or whatever it might be. But as right. far as just, I mean, he is just a man's man, no nonsense. You better give it all you got or hit the road. Was he a great coach or just a great motivator? Or both? I would say both. Um, like, I agree with your assessment of Mike. Um, I get to know Mike as a player playing for him. And, and you know, then we did the Mike Ditka radio show. And, and, and I know what's in Mike's heart. And like you said, these days, you know, it's, it's, we, we live in a very strange time. And, and we're, you know, separated in a lot of ways. Uh, you're right. You may not agree with Mike's politics. I can tell you this. Mike Ditka had as big a heart as anybody I've ever met. Yep. He wrote, raised money for as many causes as he possibly could. He, you know, was Mike out there to win? Yes. Was Mike out there to accomplish things for himself? Yes. But Mike Ditka also was out there to help those who couldn't help themselves. And I will always love Mike. I, my experience with him is, is probably different than others. Mike Ditka gave me an opportunity to live my dream. And he saw something in me and he kept me around. He cut me, but then he bring me back. And, you know, I learned so many unbelievable things from him. Um, you know, one thing that he said to me at one time, um, I think I was injured. Uh, I think I was kind of down about things were going and he pulled me aside. He said, Hey, l- listen, kid, everyone's going to face adversity. The adversity doesn't define you. It's how you respond to that adversity. That's what will define you, and that's what people will remember about you. Now, he probably lifted that from somebody smarter than all of us, but his delivery of that message to me was was something that resonated with me forever. Mike was about two things, loyalty and honesty. And if you you gave them, you received them. And um, I know that he would probably not get 100% approval rating from everybody that played for him. I got there in 89 after the great Super Bowl run and the run they were on, and I know it was a team divided at times between the defense and the offense and the love of Buddy Ryan, Um, and there was a faction that that probably existed in the team. I thought Mike was a very good coach. Uh, I thought he was the master motivator. I thought he knew how to get the most out of everybody. I think things – Things went sideways in Minnesota. I don't know if you remember the game. It yes, was, I do. I do. I do. Yep. It was the Jim Harbaugh audible game. Yep. And we were kicking the Vikings' ass. And and we were told throughout the week it's because that place was that place was one of the loudest loud, one of the loudest arenas you'd ever play in. That's when things were going well for the Vikings. They're the biggest bunch of front runners. With all due respect to Vikings fans, I've ever heard in my life. Because if they were getting their ass kicked, you could hear a pin drop. If they were running, they were running it up on you, you couldn't hear yourself think. But anyway, leading up to the game, we were told there's no audibles because it's too loud. Well, we, we came out and we were, we were just boat racing them. I guess, you know, beating them by 15 points back in the day was boat racing for us because we couldn't beat, we couldn't really run up the score offensively. But we were getting the best of them. And, I was on the sideline for the, for the play. I remember looking at this about a month ago because I wanted to remind myself of where I was when this all transpired. But I remember no audibles. And we get into the game, and I'm on the sideline. I was out for the play, and I hear Jim audible and at the line of scrimmage. I caught it from the sideline. Neil Anderson didn't. And Neil ran the play that was called instead of the audible, and he threw an interception to Todd Scott, I believe it was. He ran it back, touchdown. 
and our team just went south from there, and the Vikings ended up coming back and beating us. And after a really good start to that season, things really went south. And I think that, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the end. And I think it was the beginning of the end also for Jim Harbaugh as, as a quarterback, but for Mike as a coach as well. You know, I think, again, to circle back, I think Mike was a a hell of a coach, was a fantastic coach. He delegated. He let guys, he let Buddy do his thing. He let his offensive coordinators do his thing. Uh, But he was the face face of the team, and and the buck stopped with him. Um, I think Mike would tell you after the 92 season, it had run its course. Um, You know, I think Theo Epstein, who came here and won a World Series championship with the Cubs, I think had a really interesting kind of presentation about when it's time to, to leave. And I think he always, always referenced the, the great Bill Walsh and said, after 10 years, it kind of, you know, it kind of goes sour for all involved. And I think at that point, I don't know exactly how long Mike had been with the Bears, but you just got the feeling at the end of the 92 season, it had run its course and, and change was, was upon us. But I had nothing for love for Mike, nothing but love for Mike Ditka. He gave me an opportunity. He was loyal and honest to me, and I responded and reciprocated those those qualities. And um, you know, I've seen him do so many good things here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I've got nothing but good things for him. You uh, you walk away from the game, and all of a sudden, you get a, a, a second career as Paul Brown. Really, your life's work, as Paul Brown used to say, and. Um, and I mean, in a city like Chicago, with your popularity, you get it. You get a shot right from the get-go. Uh, you know, you're, you're on radio, you're on television. You got Pro Football Weekly, the NFL Network, ESPN, all these different gigs. You know, I, I'm curious. Brian Billick, who was my partner for a number of years on the NFL, former coach of the Ravens, his wife Kim used to say all the time to him and to us when we would see her from time to time. She'd, she'd always tell him, she'd say, "You know, Brian, you have made." Um, a far greater impact. You've made far better friends. You've enjoyed so much more the people that you have been around in this second career than you did your first career. Do you think that's true for Tom Waddle? I think you can make a good case for it, sure. Um, look, nothing will ever nothing will ever match the adrenaline rush you get coming out of the tunnel at Soldier Field and being introduced as a starting wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. Like, Tommy, that's a dream come true. Like, as much as I knew I could do it, if given the chance, the likelihood of that ever happening was was very low. Uh, So it's really hard to, to ever think that you can find something in life that will match that. The truth of the matter is the average NFL career is less than four years. So you're going to have to find your niche and it's more than a niche. You're going to have to find your life's work after that. Um, I have found that the television work and the radio work and all of the different media opportunities I've had, and I've been blessed with those as well. They're the closest thing that I can find that comes to the adrenaline rush that you get from playing on Sunday or Saturday or Friday night back at the high school level. Um, it's when the light goes on, you know, this better than I do. When the light goes on, you better have something to say. Yep. Um, when you're entrusted with a four hour radio show, uh, you better not just sit on your hands in there and, and turn your microphone off. You better have something to say. And um, I like, look, there was, I went to the NFL network probably 15 years ago, got an opportunity to work with Marshall Falk and Deion Sanders and Kurt Warner and Steve Mariucci. Like, how can, 
how can you look at that and say anything other than you've been blessed and, and to be here in Chicago and, and I was at double GN with you for 10 years with David Kaplan and developed a lifelong relationship with cap and, and was able to then move to ESPN here radio wise and worked with Sylvie, Mark Silverman for 15 years, which has been great as well. I worked at ESPN nationally and built so many relationships there. I, yeah, there's no doubt. I, like my friend base now is more, it's more about my second career than it was my first career because a lot of the players I played with went back to the towns where they grew up in. Mm-hmm. Or I stay in touch with guys, but um, this broadcasting opportunity that I've been able to take advantage of has not only provided me, um, you know, a second career, but it's provided me lifelong friends, and um, it can. It can be a bit, uh, let me, I'm trying to find the, the right phrase to use. It can be a bit treacherous at times because there's only, as you know, only so many jobs and there are 10 people for every job, you know, out there. So it can be a little bit dangerous at times navigating the waters with those that would like your job. Uh, but overall, it's, it's just been brilliant. I came out of BC with a finance degree. I thought when I was done playing, I was going to Wall Street. But I had an opportunity to do, you know, Sunday night recap shows and a radio show with Dave Ennett, um every Tuesday, my last year in the league, and kind of liked what, what this media thing was all about and just decided to run with it. My dad, every now and again, will say, why the hell didn't you go to Wall Street? You had that finance degree. And I'll say, Dad. I don't know, but I co-signed your mortgage. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Amen to that. (laughs) Hey, I want to turn to the NFL and hit a couple of topics uh, because you follow the game so closely uh, in in your career. Uh, We're taping this the day after uh, opening night in the National Football League, and and Tom Brady, I I mean, you know, look, I I know there's nothing you're going to say or I'm going to say that hasn't been said about this guy already. Um. But, you know, I I heard someone say uh, a couple of days ago, he's 44 years old. He has spent half of his life on this earth, half of his life playing in the National Football League. And he's not showing any signs. And I know it's only one game, and good Lord willing, he stays healthy and and plays till he's 54. But, I mean, can, can you believe this guy as a former athlete, what he is able to continue to do? It's remarkable. I compare it like uh, th- there's three guys that I look at that I can't believe what they were capable of doing, and I know there are significantly more than that, but just in my era. One was Jerry Rice, because I think, Jerry, you can make a case for Jerry being the greatest player yep. of, of all time. Go back and look at his numbers when he was you know, 35 or older and just the way – that he excelled. Walter Payton, obviously, was the best running back I've ever seen in my life when you factor in blocking, receiving, running, all of that stuff. And Tom Brady. Um, like, you know, you're a football wonk the way that I am. And, and, and I know you'll remember, if you watched the game in every play last night, you'll know the play I'm talking about. And to me, that there was in their second series, I think they went three and out on their first series. Their second series, he throws a crossing route to Gronk over a linebacker in front of a safety that I don't know that Patrick Mahomes can make that throw. I'm not sure Patrick can, but it's one of those throws where you go, holy, you know what? I can't believe any quarterback can make that throw, much less Tom Brady making that throw. And then he went on to do, you know, the things that he did. 
I don't know how to explain it other than obviously he's tremendously talented. He's a student of the game. He takes care of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the greatest of all time. Uh, there's no question. And, and not just, you know, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't also kind of mention what Dak did. I mean, yeah, 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 great Dak game. Come, Dak coming back from a compound fractured ankle, he didn't throw for the last three weeks. Um, he stepped out there and shows no signs of rust or no shine, signs of being shy because of the injury. Tom's 44, and they combined for 782 passing yards and seven touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, the NFL last night was on full display, yep. and, and you saw why the NFL is king in, yep. in, in this country with regard to sports. But, yeah, Tom Brady's crazy. It's, and I don't think – I mean, I'm – I don't think his play is going to dip. I mean, he looked as good last night, Tom, as I saw him look at all, uh, all, at all uh, times last year. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, and the guy, got, the guy he, is he, just whether you like him, you hate him, and a lot of people don't want to like him because he wins all the time and he's married to a supermodel and blah blah blah. Right. But I mean, he, you know, I mean, the guy, he is an amazing guy. All right, now. The quarterback situation in Chicago, I mean, I'm sure you're worn out already, and the Bears haven't even played yet. They're playing the Rams on Sunday night out in L.A. But, you know, I mean, look, for those of us back here, I mean, you talk about right in the middle of all of the thoughts and the conversations and people that probably have, um, I I would think, uh, you know, very well-informed information after watching Andy Dalton here in Cincinnati forever. Uh, took the team to the playoffs his first five years, never won a playoff game. But, you know, nonetheless, he did a lot of good things here. Uh, he's been gone now for, for a couple of years. Went to Dallas, and, you know, they lost six of their last seven after Dak got hurt last year, and, and now he's in Chicago. Then you have Justin Fields. I mean, this guy, to watch him every week uh, at Ohio State the last two years after basically sitting out two years, uh, th- th- this guy is, as you know, I mean, he he's just so talented. Excited uh, to go with Andy Dalton. Are you surprised? Is that a good move, bad move? Uh, I'm not surprised because he has been consistent since day one. Uh, Matt Nagy believes that this is the right way because it worked in Kansas City. Now, I like Matt a lot as a guy. I think he's a wonderful guy. I question some of the things he's done over the past three years with his offense and struggled to put Mitchell Trubisky in, in position to take advantage of what Mitch did well. But Matt is very set in his ways. He believes that it worked in KC with Alex Smith and with Patrick Mahomes, and this is the way to do it. Look, I, I see that as an apples-to-oranges comparison. Like with Kansas City – Alex Smith was the incumbent and the accomplished incumbent. They were coming off of, of you know, three straight years of being in yep. the postseason. Yep. That you know, Alex Smith was was you know was the leader in the league. I think in 2017 when they drafted Patrick Mahomes in quarterback rating. So like that situation was different. Andy Dalton's as new to the Bears situation as Justin Fields is. So you know, I don't see these. I don't see that situation the way that the head coach sees this, but. I can understand. I don't believe personally that this Bears team is a true Super Bowl contender. So I can play the, the, the long game here and say it's not the worst thing in the world for Justin Fields to sit back and watch a few games as this Bears offensive line tries to gel and tries to find some cohesiveness and a little bit of rhythm uh, against some really good opponents early in the season. 
It's not the worst decision. I guess there are a lot of people in this town, as you know. I mean, we're quarterback starved. We've been wandering through the quarterback desert for decades now that want Justin Fields now. And I can understand that because you can make a case with the struggles of our offensive line that Justin is going to be the only guy that can escape the pressure and make plays. Uh, I get it. I wouldn't be totally opposed to them starting him opening night in Los Angeles. But all things considered, I don't think it's the worst decision in the world. Um, my actual prediction is is that you'll see this team struggle offensively Sunday night against the Rams, the number one defense in the league last year, probably find a way to get past the Bengals in the home opener. They go to Cleveland in week three. That's going to be a really good Browns team that's improved defensively. Perfect spot. You come home for the fourth week of the season against the Detroit team that you've always dominated. Why not insert Justin Fields into the lineup at that point when you're probably one and two in the offensive struggle. That's my perspective on what will transpire, what Matt will do, and how long they'll keep Andy under center. I don't know, but I do know it's because Matt in his heart feels this is the right way to develop Fields. All right, I want to get as our final topic here, I want to get to the most important part of your life, and that is uh, your bride for all these years, and you're the father of four girls. Now, I, I got to tell you, Tom Waddle, um, <laughs> I just had a daughter who graduated, Ella, who graduated. She was a, a guest on our podcast a few weeks ago, and it was phenomenal. Um, you know, she, she graduates from high school, she's off to college now, and then we have a son still at home. But we only had one daughter. And I mean, for the last four years, you know, one day I'm the king of the jungle. The next day I'm the biggest jerk, know nothing about anything uh, on the planet. And, and, and you've got four girls. I mean, what has that been like in the wife? And of course you throw in your wife and now you got five yeah. women running around and everything going on and, you know, hormones and this and that and everything else. I mean, you, you should be probably given sainthood for that. Yeah, it's, I'm blessed. Um, you learn to defer, that's for sure. You learn, <laughs> you learn to speak when you're spoken to it. And look, there's, there's no question. We even, our dog is like a little 12-pound white female poodle. So, like, there's no, there's no testosterone <laughs> in this house other than me. But, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, my, my, my wife has been such a great, not just a, a partner in life, but such a great mother to these kids as well. And, you know, her father's, Gino Capaletti yep. played for the Boston Patriots for 10 years, all-time leading scorer in AFL history. So, you know, so, like, we have that in common, and we kind of pass that along to the kids. Um, I remember we had our first daughter, Georgia. She's 28 now, and it was a blessing. I was hoping for a, a healthy child. I wasn't looking for sure. a boy, you know, like your macho That's right. football player. That's I right. Son. I didn't get a rat's ass. I wanted a healthy child. Um we had the second daughter, Angela. She's 20, 26 now, and same thing. All I wanted was, was a healthy child. And, I, and I, then I became really proficient in being a girl dad. And then we had our third daughter, Leah, who's 23 now. And I had people coming up to me, Tom, going, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I mean, I know you wanted a boy. Uh, like, Bite your tongue. Yeah, I, no I, doubt. No I, doubt. I, I, you know, these girls are beautiful, and they're fantastic, and, and they bring me as much joy as I could have ever hoped for. So uh, it's been a blast. They're all different. They all have. Oh, wait a minute now. You, you, you forgot about the fourth one. I mean, now, I mean, you, you, listen, yeah. I had an uncle, okay, who had, who had four boys, and his wife is, is saying, man, we got to give us one more shot for a girl, right? 
And I mean, I'm with you all the way. I totally get it, one thousand percent. All you want is that is a healthy child. Don't care, boy, girl, just good Lord willing, healthy child. But now here comes girl number four. Yeah, well, and she's she's um, almost six years younger than than daughter number three. So she was a bit of a surprise, a pleasant surprise. We, my wife and I, Cara, always say. You know, she's the best thing that ever happened to us because I don't think we would have been ready to be empty nesters uh, at that time. So, um, yeah, she comes and uh, she just turned 18. She's a senior in high school, and she's she basically runs the house. She's seen it all. She's learned from the mistakes of her older sisters, so she's pretty much in charge of what's going on now. Um, but, yeah, she's been a blessing as well. It's been really cool. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like they watch football with me. I don't feel like I missed anything. They were all high level soccer players. So I've gotten the opportunity to experience athletics with them. I, I don't feel like I've missed anything at all Mm-mm. on the athletic front with them. And, um, you know, I went through a phase where I learned to play with Barbies and, and how to dress up in makeup and, and do all that stuff. <laughs> when my kids were babies and little, and, you know, I became accustomed to uh, being a girl dad very early, and I, I can't tell you there's been anything more rewarding in my life than doing that. Amen to that. Well, Thomas, I can't thank you enough for the time today. Uh, best of luck with everything. Um, love listening to you, being on your show from time to time back in the old days. Good luck with you, your wife, the girls, career, everything going on. Thank you, Tom. So, uh, such a pleasure to join your show, and best of luck to you and your family, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Tom Waddle, kind enough to join us. I uh, hope you enjoyed it uh, here on Dialed In, and of course, we will be uh, back with you next week, and uh, and very much look forward to that. And uh, we thank Dave Armbruster, our engineer. We thank the Believe Network. We thank our good friend, former Bengals star turned music star, Mike Reed, for providing our music uh, for the show. And uh, we'll look forward to catching you up uh, uh, with you again next weekend. Dialed in with Tom Brennan. Be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.